You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Now more than ever, we understand the importance of fullness. And I'm thinking about our gas tanks. We understand how good a full tank looks. We understand when that needle starts inching towards empty, the price we're about to have to pay, right? We understand that fullness is a good thing. And you know that's true spiritually as well. Did you know that God doesn't want your spiritual needle moving towards empty? He wants your spiritual needle moving towards fullness. God always has more for you. And I want you to see this in our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. So turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 3. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful epistle, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. We've made it to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 14. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand in honor of the reading of God's word, which is truth with no mixture of error. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14, the Bible says, for this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. There's a lot in that verse. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled. See that? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I ask that you would move in our midst by the power of your Spirit, that as your word goes forth, we would comprehend it and respond to it. Lord, I pray that all of us would leave today different than when we walked in the room. For the glory and the fame of your great name. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The passage we just read is one of the great passages of Scripture in the New Testament. Indeed, in the Word of God. The great English preacher D. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes about this passage. 
however long you may live in this world, whatever orator may arise, you will never hear anything equal to that for eloquence, for elevation of thought, for profundity of language, and for conception. It, this passage we just read, it is, a, is undoubtedly one of the great mountain peaks in the Scriptures. Passages like this remind me of my inadequacy in trying to communicate these great truths to God's people. This is a great passage of Scripture, and I trust God has some things He wants to say to you and to me today. But notice as we establish the context how this passage begins. For this reason. For this reason. Now this is a repetition of what he said in verse 1. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, for this reason. And he's getting ready to pray for the believers in Ephesus. But before he gets to the prayer, he gets caught up in talking about the redemptive plan of God. So after he talks about that for a little while, he gets back to the prayer in verse 14. And he says again, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. The phrase, for this reason, refers back to what has been previously said. It refers back to the great theological truths concerning salvation in Christ. It's like Paul is saying, in light of God's wondrous plan of salvation, I bow my knees to pray for you, that you would experience this plan in an ever-increasing way. And notice, he bows his knee to pray to the Father And he says there of the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. That phrase means that that every family in heaven, every grouping of angels, every grouping of people on this earth finds its origin in our Creator, God. He is our source. We all come from Him. And Paul's saying, I pray to the Father. And he's praying for The believers in Ephesus, because look what he says in verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, the riches of the glory of the Father who created everything, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, he may give you. So he's praying that God would grant something to the believers in Ephesus. That God would give something to the believers in Ephesus. Now what is, is Paul praying that God would give them? Well, I want you to notice... The bookends of this passage. I want you to notice, first of all, the phrase inner being. Look what it says in verse 16. That he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So so Paul is praying that the Father would strengthen the inner being of the believers in Ephesus. The, The literal phrase there is inner man. It speaks of the the new creation that we are in Christ. When you became a Christian, you became a brand new person. He's speaking of your, your, your brand new nature in Christ. Inner being. Now, just very quickly, you understand, don't you, that our world, our society, entertainment, advertising, you name it, it it's all calculated... To cause us to focus on our outer being. What we look like. What we do. What we accomplish. What we achieve. What what we acquire. It's all about our outer being. What we look like to others. I want you to understand 
that God, and this is for our young people, this is very important, God is far more concerned about your inner being than he is your outer being. And he's committed to doing something in your inner being. And Paul's praying for something specific in the inner being of the Ephesian believers. So the first bookend is inner man or inner being. But let me show you the, the other bookend. Look at the end of this passage, verse 19. He says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now what does he mean by the phrase, the fullness of God? To, to, to experience God's fullness is to experience, listen, more and more of Christ so that we can become more and more like Christ. To experience more and more of Christ so we can become more and more like Christ. We know this because in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, the Bible says that, that Jesus is the one who fills all in all. We are the body, the church, and Jesus as head of the church fills us up as we walk with him and talk with him and experience him. We become more and more like Christ. To what end? Well, look what it says over in Ephesians 4.13. In Ephesians 4.13 he says that the goal is that we attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, here's what maturity looks like in the Christian life. It means we're becoming more like Jesus. So the phrase fullness of Christ means we experience more and more of Jesus so we can become more and more like Jesus. Got it? So here are the bookends. Inner man. That God would do something in your inner being. Why? So you'll experience the fullness of God. Now let me sum up this statement. God desires to transform our inner being so that we can experience his fullness. That's a, that's a, a, a statement that covers the entire passage. God desires to transform our inner being so that we can experience his fullness. That's what God wants to do in your life. That's what God is doing in your life if you know him. He's working on you on the inside because he wants your spiritual needle to move towards full. Now, here's the question. How does God do that? How does God work in our inner being? How does God change us on the inside so that we can experience his fullness? Well, that's the rest of the sermon. If you look there in your notes, our inner being is changed in three ways. First of all, our inner being is changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The song we sang earlier, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, give us power. That comes from this passage. And we are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says there in verse 16. I'm praying, I'm bowing my knees before the Father that he may grant you, did oh my, that he may give you to be strengthened with power. How? Through His Spirit, His Holy Spirit in your inner being. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. The third person of the Trinity. And the Bible teaches us in many places, but passages like Romans chapter 8, 
when we are saved, when we place our faith and trust in Christ, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, comes to live on the inside of us and begins to bring his power to bear on our lives. You see, the Holy Spirit is a change agent. He brings his power to bear on you, and his power is astonishing. Think of the different symbols in the Bible for the Holy Spirit. He is experienced as fire, breath, wind, oil, a dove, a raging river of living water, a faithful comforter, a constant companion. All of these pictures of the Holy Spirit and what He does and how He works are meant to communicate that the Spirit is active, that He is always at work. The Holy Spirit is a change agent. That's why I say, if you claim to know Christ, but there's no change, you don't really know Christ. Because if you know Christ, the Holy Spirit has stepped into your life and He brings to bear on your life breathtaking power. And Paul's saying, may you experience that power in an ever-increasing way in your inner man on the inside. See, our inner man is changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's, He's working on the inside to bring about change. But there's a second way that our inner man experiences change. Not only by the power of the Spirit, but by the indwelling Christ. Look what he says in verse 17. So that Christ, as the Spirit works in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Wade. You just said that when I was saved, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in my life. And this verse says that Jesus dwells in my heart. So which is it? Does the Holy Spirit dwell in my heart or does Jesus Christ dwell in my heart? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Both persons of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, Son of God, second person of the Trinity, and Holy Spirit dwell on the inside of you. But there's an interesting way that Jesus dwells in us. He says there, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There are two common Greek words for dwell. And it's interesting to look at those two words. The first word is the word uh, parokeo. It means to inhabit a place as a stranger. If you go to a hotel overnight, you are parokeo. You're dwelling overnight. You're not there permanently. You're You're just passing through. That's that what that first Greek word means. The other Greek word for dwell is the word katokeo. It means to settle down somewhere, to make it your permanent abode. And that's the word used in this text. That he may dwell, katokeo, that he may, may settle down in your heart. That he may dwell there permanently. This word does not express temporary lodging It expresses ongoing residence. It speaks of a master within his his own home as opposed to a wayfarer that turns aside for the night. It carries with it the idea of settling down. It's like when 
someone comes to your home, you say, make yourself at home. Dwell. Settle down. The Bible says that through faith, do you notice that? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, trust Him as our Lord and Savior, He steps into our heart to dwell. Not overnight, not passing through. Your heart's not a hotel for Jesus. It's a home for Jesus. He comes to settle into your heart. And Paul's teaching here does not relate to the fact of his presence. He's there through faith. This passage about him dwelling relates to the quality of his presence. What is his dwelling like? Or better yet, in what condition is your heart the place where he dwells? There's a a booklet by Robert Munger called My Heart, Christ's Home. This little booklet, it pictures the Christian life as a house through which Jesus goes from room to room. For example, he goes into the library, which is the mind. Jesus finds trash and all sorts of worthless things, which he throws out and then replaces with his word. Then he goes into the dining room of appetite, where he finds many sinful desires listed on a worldly menu. And in the place of things such as materialism and lust and prestige, he puts humility, meekness, love, and purity. He goes through the living room of fellowship where he finds many worldly companions and activities. He goes into the the workshop where only toys are being made. He goes into the closet where hidden sins are kept and so on through the entire house. And the point of the book is this. Only when he has cleaned every room, closet, and corner of sin will he settle down. My question is this. Does Jesus feel at home in your heart? He's there. It's through faith. If you're a Christian, he's there. He's in your heart. Does he feel at home? Jesus should feel at home in our hearts. You see, if you don't want Jesus messing with stuff in your life, don't invite him in. Because when you invite Jesus into your life and he makes your heart his home, he's going to go through that home into every room and examine it and deal with things that don't belong there and fill it up with things that do belong there. Jesus Christ is at work in your heart. He is, listen, he is dwelling there. Does he feel welcome? You say, what does Jesus do as he dwells in my heart? If you look there in your notes, Jesus dwells in your heart, and here's what he does. He makes love the central element of your life. Look what it says in verse 17. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. What does Jesus do as he lives on the inside of you? He's constantly, constantly taking you back to love. The word rooted is a biological term. The word grounded is an architectural term. To be rooted in love is to draw your nourishment from love. It is to have your life founded on love. To to be founded on love, to, 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 to be grounded, is to build your life on love. 
In other words, the love of God nourishes and the love of God stabilizes our lives. Jesus wants our lives to be filled to overflowing with love. In fact, isn't that what he said when he was asked about the great commandments? So if you want to sum up all the commandments, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to be people of love. Loving God supremely. Loving others sacrificially. We are to be people who are nourished by love and who are building our lives on love. Right? That's what Jesus does. He's constantly taking you deeper and deeper into love. He's making you a more loving person. He's he's causing you to understand that love ought to be the the central element of your life. And sometimes, even in church, we can elevate lesser virtues. In fact, over in 1 Corinthians 13, that's precisely the point that Paul makes. Talking to the church in Corinth, he says, You can speak with a tongue like an angel. But if you're speaking even the truths of God and don't have love, it's not being founded upon love, you're like a a noisy gong. Or a clanging symbol. Paul says, you can be a person who knows a lot of stuff. I mean, you are growing in your knowledge of scripture and theology and doctrine. And man, you know your Bible. And you can be a person of great faith. You pray these big visionary prayers asking God to move in your life and in others. But Paul says if you know all the right stuff and you pray all the right prayers but you don't have love, you are as nothing. Then he says you can be a martyr. You can give your life for Jesus. You can give everything that you have to other people. You can be a person who is marked by sacrifice. But if it's not built upon the foundation of love, it's nothing. Love is a big deal. And I want you to understand, that's what Jesus is doing in your heart. He's causing you to to dig your roots down deeper into love and build your life on the foundation of love. He wants love to be the central element of your life. And and question, aren't you glad, glad that's what Jesus is doing? Constantly taking you back to love. But there's a third way that our inner being is changed. By the power of the Spirit, He's always at work, He's a change agent. By the, by the indwelling Christ, dwelling in our hearts, making himself at home, changing us from the inside out, leading us to love. But number three, and this is so important, we are changed in the inner being by comprehending God's love. By comprehending God's love for us. Look what it says there in verse 18. He says, Christ dwelling in your heart through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. 
Wow. You know what Paul's doing here? Paul's praying that they would have the strength to grow in their comprehension. That word comprehend means to take hold of something, to make it your own, to process information that you might grasp it. And he's saying, I'm praying that you as Christians would experience the power of God in your inner being so that you can have the wherewithal to process something of the love of God so you can grasp it, take hold of it, understand it better. You see, God wants you to grasp His love by growing your understanding of its significance. He wants you to understand how immensely significant His love is. And here's the amazing thing. For you to grow in your comprehension of the love of God, you're going to need some help. That's why the Spirit's working on your inner man. That's why Christ is working on your inner man. But there's some more help you need. Look what he says back in verse 18. That you may have strength to comprehend. Look at this next phrase. With all the saints. Wow. You know what that means? It means that we need to be involved in a local church so that we can have the help and encouragement we need to grow in our understanding of the love of God. That's what it means. It means that as I see God working in your life and experiencing God's love, and you see God working in my life, I'm experiencing God's love, we understand God's love better. It means that when we get together and talk about the goodness of God and sing about the goodness of God and celebrate the love of God, we get a better understanding of the love of God. That's his point. We get together to better grasp how much God loves us. Amazing. People say, I don't need to go to church. How do you deal with this verse? That we would comprehend with all the saints. We need each other to understand its significance. And and here's the question. Why do we need so much help? The Spirit's working. Christ is working. We're around other believers who are encouraging us. We're celebrating the love of God. Learning more of the love of God. Why do we need so much help to grow in our understanding? Can we just read a book? Can't we just read a definition of God's love and understand it better? Why do we need so much help? Why does our inner being have to be strengthened? Here's the reason. God's love is breathtaking in its vastness. It's so big. It's so big. You need help to begin to get your your mind and your heart around it. And that's what he says back in verse 18. You may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth. The length, the height, the depth. Know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. God's love is breathtaking in its vastness. Over in Psalm 108 verse 4, the Bible says, For your loving kindness is great above the heavens. Paul is trying to help them stand in awe at the dimensions of God's love. You can't measure it. It's, It's beyond figuring out 
One commentator wrote that God's love is broad enough to encompass all mankind, long enough to last for all of eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to lift him up to heaven. That's the love of God. God's love is big. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John 4 that God is love, and God is infinite, so that must mean His love is infinite. His love is big. It It surpasses knowledge. By the way, that's why we'll never have it fully figured out. Look what he says in verse 19. This is an amazing verse. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. See, what he's praying here is, I pray that you'll know more about God's love, but you'll never reach the end of it. It's beyond knowing fully. It's beyond Fully understanding. In fact, I believe we get to heaven, we'll spend all of eternity celebrating and learning more of the love of God. It has no end. It's that vast. And can I remind you, this love is love that he has set upon you. He loves you. In this way. His love is that big and it's and it's directed toward you and me. Oh, his love is so vast. Robert or Frederick Lehman said it like this: the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. God's love is breathtaking in its vastness. Paul's praying. The Holy Spirit would strengthen you in the inner man. That Christ would dwell in your hearts, make himself at home in an ever-increasing way. That you would comprehend the, the vastness of the love of God. Grow in your knowledge of that which is not fully knowable. Why? Why does he want God to work in this way in our inner man? Look at the last verse. The bookend. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen, if you want your spiritual needle moving towards full instead of empty, you need to let the Holy Spirit have His way in your life every day. You need to work and live in such a way that Christ is welcome in your heart and has His way in your life to lead you into deeper and deeper love for Him and others. And you need the Spirit of God to open the eyes of your hearts so that you can further grasp how great God's love is. And as you further grasp how great God's love is, that's where you experience fullness. That's where the joyous Christian life is to be lived. That's when you think about Jesus and talk about Jesus and sing about Jesus and tell others about Jesus and come to celebrate Jesus because you are so 
overwhelmed by the love of God. And so my question is, are you ready today to lay down obstacles and barriers and self that would keep the Lord from fully working on the inner person? Are you ready for God to work on the inner you like He never has before? Are you ready to experience these realities so that you can know more of the love of God and grow in your love for Him? Oh, how we need to be changed in the inner person. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.